your uh, sermon notes, if you would, please. And today I want to talk a little bit about something very simple. And I, I gave it a title last week that I'm going to shift a little bit. The title was The Powerful Purpose of a Father. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. The Powerful Purpose of a Father. That's what I told you we talked about last week. We're in a series called Too Slow to Reach Your Purpose. And what I've been talking about this entire year is the importance of finding your purpose, identifying what you are called to do. That's one of your greatest assignments in life. My purpose, obviously, is to pastor. My purpose is to obviously do this. It's one of my assignments. But I believe that there is a, a, a parental responsibility that I have that um, has a far-reaching impact on everything I do. And, and I want to focus today on, on that part of it. And I, I have one big point I want to make. I want to talk about how fathers have a powerful purpose and impact that helps define the family. It defines the family's future and speed of the family's growth. The father affects the speed. The father affects all that that family eventually will experience and is rooted in his philosophy, how he thinks. So I gave the title of the sermon a little bit of a twist. Repeat it with me, please. Say, my purpose, my, purpose. my, power, my power, and my impact. my impact. A father has a specific purpose, a specific job description. A father has a powerful impact on the family. It transforms everything. There is a study um, that you can put up that I, 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 I tell you there were some positive things about fathers. Um, when a father lives with the kids, I, I was impressed. Uh, I, this goes through based on ethnicity. Uh, if they eat at home with the father, when the father's in the house, notice 63% of um, Latinos, 73% of whites, 78.2% of fathers eat with their children on a daily basis. When the father's not in the house, only 8.6. Notice the numbers drop drastically. But what I was impressed with, they play with their children, they bathe their children, they read to their children in the 60 to 70 percentile range. Fathers are engaged. Come on, say it with me, please. Come on. Fathers are engaged. Most fathers who live with their kids, thank you so much who live with their kids, they, they're there. They're not just around. And I thought that's important to say because men don't oftentimes get the credit. You act like men do nothing. <laughs> the, the stats don't bear that out. Men, men are engaged in their families, and I, I, I like that. And there's a whole lot more I can say about that, but... I do want to highlight, though, three things, three ways I think a father impacts the speed of a family. The entire series argues that sometimes in life you can go too slow. Next series will be going too fast. So my goal is to show you how to balance the two. And to ask yourself this question throughout the series, am I going too slow? And so I thought it would be great then to 
that have a father look at this and show you three ways a father impacts the speed of a family. So let me just read them for you and we'll go back through them and I'll tell you what they are. And then I'll give you some thoughts that my kids had about me that I thought were fascinating. First of all, it, the, 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 how the father views his job description affects the speed of the family. Secondly, how the father defines discipline affects the speed of the family. And number three, how the father inspires good choices and good living affects the family. It is amazing to me how my family says I inspire them. My ability to impact them is amazing. But if you go back to the very top and notice Ephesians chapter 6, I want to show you what the Bible says about the job description of a father. And I think anything you do, if you have a clear picture of the job description, you do it better. You understand what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And Ephesians chapter 6 is a verse where, you know, parents like the first part of the verse and they never read the second part. But what's interesting is it specifically targets fathers. Here's what he says, children, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6, do, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. And now you've heard this in the King James, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. right? That part parents really like. And is, we used to call it Bible verse C. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Bible verse And so we taught our kids that. Ricky Christina grew up with Bible verse C. And so whenever they would act up, I said, what does Bible verse C say? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. There you go. And so one day my mother was talking to me, and she was saying something to me, and I didn't quite agree with her. I said, Mom, I don't agree with that. And Ricky said, Bible verse C. <laughs> Children. <laughs> I said, this is not the time for Bible verse C. We love this verse as parents because it says, Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment that has promise attached to it. And so this is what we like. And here's what you tell them, so that you may do well and have a long life. You want to live longer? Do what I say. And then we stop. We read no further. But here's what the next part says. And what's amazing is it says it to fathers. Don't exasperate. And the King James, it says, provoke your children. And here's how you do that. By coming down hard on them. He said, what you should do is take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Your goal should be to lead them, not to just boss them. So remember the first point here. You affect the speed of your family's growth by how you view your job description. Are you just a boss? Are you just the guy in charge? Is your role to just correct so that when you come home, everybody's intimidated and afraid? Because you're here now. The law is just arrived. You come to judge, you come to judge. The court's in session, right? Remember that song? And it's, it's just amazing how you can become this hard person. And that's one of the things, one of the philosophies 
that I believe slows the family down. It slows the leadership down. It slows, it, it pulls everything back because there's this amazing environment you create, which we'll talk about later on. So how do you view your job? Second thing, how the father defines discipline. That affects the family. Is this all about vengeance? When you engage them, is it all about, if you embarrass me, I'll embarrass you. Is it all about respect? But it's all about respecting you. And see, I understand that, that we, we mean well, but, but there's a powerful thing when you view your job description as the boss, and that's the only title, and you define discipline in a way that is more about you holding up the temple name than anything else. Here's what I love about Hebrews 12 and 6. God compares his role as a father to my role as a father. And here's what he says. When I discipline you, my goal is to educate you. I am not doing it just for vengeance. Now, the Bible says, you know, vengeance is mine, I will repay. There's a point where you get into judgment. But that's for the rebellious. That's, that's, the, that's, that's not the first, that's not the intent of the discussion. Hebrews 6 and 6 says, it, it, it's the child he loves that he disciplines. King James says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The child he embraces, he also corrects. Notice the goal. God is doing what? Come on, what is it? God is doing what? Look at verse 7. What does it say? God is what? Educating. God is doing what? Educating. One more time. God is doing what? Educating. It's all about education. As a matter of fact, the word that's used for discipline in the Greek here really means to educate. The goal of the discipline, the goal of the correction is to educate you, to move you from not knowing to knowing. It's not because you embarrass me, so I must really get you. If I define as a father discipline in vengeful terms, it slows down the relationship. I'm more afraid of making you angry than learning the lesson. I'm more afraid of the consequences of facing you than facing God. There's no... There's no um, there's, there's no educational goal here. It's all about making sure you know who I am. Whenever I hear a dad says, well, they know who I am. I go, really, who are you? I'm your daddy, boy. Brought you into the world, I'll take you out of it. I understand what you're saying. And I've, had, I've had some moments, and let me just say this. I get it. You know, I've, I've, I've raised two kids. I get it. You know, I've, I've pastored for 35 years. I, I get it. I mean, I understand. I've seen a lot. I understand but I've learned something about being a father. If I get my job description wrong, I create the wrong atmosphere. If I approach it with the wrong way, it creates in people an interesting feeling. And they don't assume that my goal is to make their life better, which brings me to the third thing that I mentioned. How the father inspires good choices and good living affects the speed of the family. Do they believe that you are trying to get them to a good life so they can live well? If you notice, honor your father and your mother, 
So verse 3 says that you will, you will live well. It's all about you helping me live well. So when I engage you at the end of this discussion, I shouldn't just feel beat up or corrected. I should feel that was in my best interest. My life is better because of my dad. Engaging him, even if it was an awkward conversation, in the end of the day, he was only educating me. He was only trying to push me forward. That, to me, is absolutely wonderful when you can say that. Now, but here's what's interesting for some of you. Pastor Rick, I don't understand nothing you're saying because my dad was a jerk or wasn't present or didn't care or never supported me. I mean, some in his room right now, some of you have checked out because you're saying, my dad did all that wrong and still does. And, it's just, and, and some of you fathers, you're checking out because you say, well, I did that wrong. Well, so now what do I do? Here's what you can do when you do it wrong, do it wrong as a father. You ready? I'm going to give you a simple formula to fix all of what you did wrong as a dad. You ready? Say, I'm sorry. That's it. There's nothing else. I mean, you can say, I'm sorry. You can go back. You can have a conference. You can tell them what you think you did wrong. But you can't go back in time. You have to start where you are. And if you didn't have a dad who got it, and if you didn't have a dad who was there for you, you can spend the rest of your life mad with him, or you can go to the movies and get you some popcorn and be happy. <laughs> you can just say, well, that's over. I mean, sometimes daddy just didn't have it in his bag of tricks. His dad didn't give it to him. You can carry too much in your heart and too much in your mind that doesn't pay. It doesn't fix anything. You need to pause for a minute and ask yourself, are you carrying this thing? And, and let, me, let me tell you what's even horrific. The number of people who were abused by their dad. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, believe me, I, I know stories that I hate to know. I, it, it's, but here, here are two sides to this. I know the dad who abused. I know the daughter who was abused. And I've counseled both. It's fascinating. And nobody knows but them. In this room, somebody, somebody watching, that's a story. A story you never told anybody. You know what's amazing? God knows your story. And God can heal your heart. And God can fix it where nobody else can fix it. That's why Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Because sometimes nobody knows like you know. But he's still God. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. He's still God. You know, one of the benefits of going to preach in prisons, I had to fix that because I almost said going to prison. I had to fix that real quick. <laughs> Diane got up, we went to one of the prison tours, and Diane got up and told, told the group, I just got out of prison. <laughs> Once a month, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this prison tour for the state of Georgia, and I'm teaching on choices. And I just did Albany, Georgia the other day. It's a great time. And, um, I do about once a month or so when I can, and then I pick up again in August. But I was really, 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 really fascinated by the atmosphere 
of guilt. I do about an hour session, and then I do about an hour Q&A. And the warden's there, and the whole team is there, and, and um, it's just, you know, it's nothing like going to a prison. You go in, you know, you check you all out, preacher or not, pull your pants, legs up, make sure you ain't got nothing, take shoes off, take everything. And then you go in and clink, and you go another step and clink, and you go another step and uh, clink. Yeah, boy, you'd be clinking all the way in the room. And then you get in there, and then in this particular all the big guys are with you, you know, all the, with the, everything the SWAT team look like. And I'm going in and speaking and dying eyes this big. <laughs> and they all look like your cousin. They look like your cousin Frank and John, and, and then in the women's prison, it's your auntie and your grandmama, all of them in prison. During the Q&A sessions, I wish I could tape them. I mean, I can't, but I, I wish you could be a fly on the wall. And here's what's interesting. This, this past week, way in the back, what do you do when you're wrong? How do you go back home? And one guy said, how do you, he's on the front row, he said, how do you, how do you, you know you did it. How do you, how do you emotionally do the time you know you should do for what you did? How do you, how do you emotionally do that? I know I did it, so I, but, but I got years, years in front of me. When you mess up, you got to get up. Because here's the deal. Feeling sorry for yourself and what you didn't do, whether it be in prison, and a lot of them are fathers, it doesn't change anything. You've got to decide in your mind that you faced it, and now you're going in a different direction. And everybody will not get it. You know, every father is not going to have the kind of relationship with his kids because of the choices he made. They're going to always say you didn't come to the game. They're going to always say you didn't support them. They're going to always, that's, a, that's part of their life experience with you. And you have to own that and say, that's fair. That's a fair argument. If you loan me your car, I wrecked it. One, just I'm, I'm driving 90 miles an hour, hit a tree, I live, but your car's gone. Brand new Mercedes. You get a new Mercedes, no, a Bentley. And I ask you, can I borrow it to go to the grocery store? You didn't even pray about that. You just yell, no. You just jump right in the middle of my sermon. No! Wait, was that you? You did that? That was you? Who said that? Who said that? No, you said it. You own it too. I said it. No. Catch the bus. Walk. <laughs> Come on, say, that's fair. Come on. So you have to understand, for some of you, look, you were married, 
you are unfaithful to your ex-wife, you were a jerk or a jerkette. Okay, so they don't like you. That's fair. They don't invite you to the party. Fair. That's fair. It's fair. I mean, some things are fair. Some of you have gotten fired on a job, and guess what? It was fair. You were late all the time. It's fair. Don't be mad. It's fair. They, they, they give you papers. Say, okay, thank you for the opportunity. Okay, I'm walk out. Y'all ain't got to carry me out now. I'm going. <laughs> Wave at everybody. It's fair. You did. You know you did it. So I mean, there's a moment when, as a father, you got to say, "This is fair." The tension's fair. The atmosphere is fair. I have to embrace the fairness of this. But I have to first of all forgive me. Because you carry this stuff, it just, you just, it doesn't help you. And sometimes people are going to misunderstand it. You know, because some people want you to feel sorry forever. They want you to describe forever. I, I counsel people who did wrong and people who were done wrong. And, and when I counsel both of them, I have to tell them, okay, he did wrong, okay. You know, well, you did wrong. Everybody has to get up. Come on, say, if you mess up. Come on, say, if you mess up, you must get up. You can't just lay there. I'm going to share what that looks like. Let's pretend I'm preaching and I've messed up so far. And I said, well, that's it. I'm just going to stand here because I messed up. Keep going, preacher. Try some more. Don't, don't stop now. Sometimes when I'm preaching, it doesn't go good, and some of you look like you're sleeping. I mean, some of you be knocked out. Drooling everything. This is a mess. I'm sitting there saying, wake up. I worked hard on this sermon. You just sleeping on me? I have to say, well, that's part one. Let's try part two. I'll come back next week. You can't, you can't just lay there. Daddy, you got to get up. You got to believe in yourself. If you have four kids and two of them crazy, then okay, you got two more to go. Come on, you can fix the last two. So you're the last ones. <laughs> I destroyed them, but I'm going to fix y'all. And go back and tell them, I messed you up, I messed you up. I was... You know, and, and, and kids appreciate that. You'd be surprised how many of them would appreciate you saying I was crazy. I have one thing to tell you, I was crazy, that's it. 22, 23, 24, 25, I didn't know what, that wasn't the world that I know, I'm sorry, excuse me, I'm 58, that's how you think when you get 58. You realize that when you're 24, you're not all wise. Father and kids, some of these kids father kids, they don't even know what they're doing. They did look at my boy. No, that's $220,000 over the next 18 years of your life, that's what that is. <laughs> that's my boy right there, yeah, that's your $225,000. Google it. Somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. What in the world do you understand? A lot of times you did, they didn't know what they were doing. They were out to have fun. That's all. They did not expect all that came nine months later. They were not trying. Somebody told me that the other day, and I was, I was taken back by it. A woman said, I wasn't planning that. We were just, you know, and then, wow, bam. There you go. And so you weren't prepared for fathering. You didn't know what you were doing. You didn't know how to be a mother. You didn't know what you were doing. And so now, admit it. 
and move forward. I don't have time to be angry with anybody. What is the pay? What's the advantage of it? When I see my daddy, I'm going to talk to him. What you going to tell him? <laughs> Where were you? And how come you? Okay, and my mother struggled. Okay, now, when you tell him all that, he looks at you and say, I was crazy. Now what? There's nothing. I'm not playing down what was done to you. I'm not playing down. I'm just simply saying, there's nothing else to do. So, let me close this out. I talked to my kids, and I took this really extensive survey, which I, I probably should let you read, but I, I'm not. And I asked them, okay, tell me the, the things about fathering that you want me to do. So there's seven things my family said they want in a father. Seven things. And these are, boy, they're honest. Here we go. You ready? I just summarized it the best I could. First of all, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that's the anointing when you feel it, hear that. They want, me <laughs> they want me to define sacrifice as more than financial provision. Can you read that with me, please? Come on. They want me to define as more than what? Fathers tend to think financial provision is their basic job description. And so a, a guy who doesn't live with his kids will simply send them money and think that's fathering. And it's not. You have as much responsibility to engage them. That's why I showed you the chart in the beginning. If you live with them, you pray with them 70% of the time, you eat with them. When you don't, it goes down to 15% of them are engaged. Don't assume that writing a check is, is, is leading your kids. And, and, it's, it, and, and here's something that I, I say often. It's, it's a revelation I came to. When you ask the question, why so many black men in particular are lost, or so many men are lost, or whatever, I, I, children are lost, but I think the reason is it costs too much to save them. You have to pay. You have to get up and go. You have to make an effort. You have to go visit. You have to see them. You have to listen to their stories. You have to be available. And it costs too much to do that. A lot of preachers are so busy saving the world. I shock preachers all the time when I minister to them. I said, look, guys, what are you doing? What's your schedule? Sunday you preach, Monday you're in the office, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You're traveling, you're doing this, you're doing that. Saturday you're studying for your sermon. It's horrible living with you. What kind of schedule is that? When does your wife get a day? When do, when do, when do your children get a day? Saturday was kids' day. They did not want me to just provide for them. They wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese, that big rat. They wanted me to go stand in there. And so I went. I hated every visitor. I didn't like the place. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad place. It's just, I don't know. It's just me, you know, me and the rat almost got into it one time. I was playing with my wife's hair. So I went up to him, I said, I don't know who's in this suit, but I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I did. Man of God had a little conference call with him, flipping my wife's head. What's wrong with you, boy? You better chill out. 
<laughs> Don said, would you behave? I said, show. I hope you heard me, though. <laughs> okay, let me pray for the pastor right now. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, I, but they, they loved it. My kids love going, man. They love, you know, be, they love me not just going, bowling, rolling the ball up the thing, shooting the basketball thing. They love, they love the beach. On Saturday, they didn't want to hear I had to do a sermon. He's doing a sermon again. He's got to do a sermon every Saturday until he dies. It'll never change. You know what I mean? You begin to be hopeless. Here he goes on another revival. He'll be gone for who knows how long. And there's another one that's revivaled every week. Everybody should be revived now. <laughs> you know, he's always counseling somebody. He's always on the phone talking to somebody about Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm saying? People just get tired of it. They just, this is terrible. And then they take me to church and we never leave. We stay all day. When I get old enough and I don't have to go to church, I'm never going to church. That's why some of your friends, when you invite them to church, say, hey! What's the first question they ask you? How long is it? First question, how long? Everybody must have gone to the same church. You know what I'm saying? How long will this be? Don't let me get started on that. Number two, they want me to be engaged in their lives and be personally informed about them. They want to be engaged. They want me to know where they're, what they're doing, where they're going. Number three, they want, to include, they want me to include them in my life. The biggest surprise for me, I say it all the time, whenever my kids comment about me, they never say anything about stuff I think they should talk about, tuition and cars, stuff I pay for, you know, they should talk about that. They never mention it. They only say, you took us with you. It can be to the store. When, I, I love to ask fathers this question. When is the last time you and your daughter went anywhere alone? You and your son went someplace alone. Just the two of you. There's something about that experience. And it's not just fathering in that way. Let me give you a little, a little nice thing. I have nieces, right? And I have what I call niece day. I do. And I just take them someplace, and they get to choose and spend my money. Uh, sometimes they want to go to a museum. I got one niece. She likes the museums all the time. So, okay, we're going to the museum. Okay, when I ask her, I know what she's going to say. Uncle Reggie, I get to go anywhere I want to go. Yeah, where you want to go? Elena's going to say, the museum. Yay, I later. We're going back to another museum. But that's what she wants. And so now I'm having these little individual things. One at a time. You pick a day, you pick a day, you pick a place. God, what it does. What it does. They just want you to father them. They don't want you to lust after them. They don't want you to look at them. They don't want you, they want you to just father them. Just father me, please. 
Just call me and ask me how I'm doing. You send your daughters off to school and you don't even call. How was your day? How was your world? Here's a scary question. How is your money? Don't ask them that now. Really? <laughs> they want to be included. Number four, they want me to remember that I have a direct effect on their atmosphere. What's amazing is what they said to me was, you affect the atmosphere more than anything. How I engage, how I talk, how I communicate. When I come in the house, if I'm happy, the whole place is lit up. I'm amazed at how impactful my mood is on the family. I can change everything. They love it when I'm ecstatic. They love it when I'm smiling. They live off of it. They feed off of it. They don't ever, my thing, they don't even joke about anybody else. I'm the, Diane, Diane gets a pass. I don't like it. They never, the, the videos that are online with me, that's my dad, Ricky Temple. If you Google Ricky Temple, that's my dad. They, they do all that stuff about, they never did that's my mom. They had to do one called that's my mom. <laughs> There's a lot of stories about Diane that would be very fascinating. But my kids say, oh, dad, she's not as much fun as you. You do all kind of strange things. <laughs> Number five, they want, they want me to be faithful to my wife. They don't want me to embarrass them. <clears throat> a daughter came to me and said, somebody came up to me and told me about my dad cheating on my mom and I just didn't know what to say. It's just not just, it's important to them. It's, it, that, that's what they say. And what was interesting is, and this was Christina, she, she waxed eloquent as to why she thinks I'm faithful. That was fascinating. And she said, you made a decision. And it's interesting how she sees it. It's about a decision. Look, everybody has a, has a dark season. Everybody, look, if I would have, here's the truth. If I were to put your story up on this video and say, here is your life, the things nobody knows, you would not like that video. Most of us have something we don't want on video. But the truth is, I can make a decision today. Forget the past. Faithful. Whatever I used to be. I got a lot of friends, pastors, men who made mistakes. And they said, but Temple, I get it now. Faithful. There's something about what that will do to the family because all they want to know is that's all over with. And my kids, my, 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 so, uh, my, my, I've, I'm amazed at how my faithfulness affects their feelings about themselves. So lift your hand, let's make a declaration. Come on, lift your hand. Every hand lifted. After this prayer, it's over with. No guilt, no condemnation. Father, forgive us for failures in our past. Whatever things have not been perfect, whether man or woman here, Father, forgive us. Let this be the beginning of faithfulness. 
We banish from our family and from our home the sins of our past. And we commit to being faithful. And we commit to being holy. And we commit to being godly in Jesus' name. Now put your hands down. Let me tell you a story. That was the prayer that two people prayed in the car with me. She used to run guns for the mafia. He used to be a drug dealer in Boston. And they both were now pastors. And they, and this, and they said, we, were, we lived shameless lives. We made horrible decisions. They went down together to get their AIDS tested. Thank God they were both negative. But I remember how they, they celebrated the new beginning. You have to celebrate a new beginning. And you have to move on with your life. Everybody say faithful. Faithful. Faithfulness starts somewhere. Let it be today. Whatever happened is over. Can we say amen? Amen. Last one. Two more. They want me to keep my world's balance. They want me to balance my ministry, my world. They don't want my world out of sync. And lastly, they want me to be happy. Here's what they want. They want me to be happy, cheerful, and celebratory. They want to see Ricky Temple bring joy in the house and the family. I read that and I thought, man, that's what they want from a father. Father, I know in this room people would say, I failed in some of these areas and so have I as a father. I haven't been perfect and none of us are. In this room there are people who feel that they've been victims of their father. I pray for their healing and their forgiveness today. For those who were victimized and those who were victims. I pray for healing, for forgiveness, for grace. And I pray that as we leave this service today, we leave with confidence that God is able to heal our hearts and restore our minds. Help every father re-examine his job description. He's more than just a boss. Help each father begin to rethink his life. Help him understand, Father God, that how he defines leadership and discipline will affect the entire atmosphere. May his kids feel that he's there to make their life good. When they see him, they should smile and say, Hey, Dad, great to see you. The daughter should be free to call and just talk about anything. And when the kids are imperfect, they don't have to correct everything. They can just listen. They can just listen. Sometimes on Father's Day, we wait for our kids to call us. Sometimes we should call them. How about this? It's Father's Day, and I'm calling you to say, what an honor to have you as my child. And I want to reach out to you and just tell you, I'm happy on Father's Day to be your father. Spin it around. Instead of waiting by the phone, angry, waiting for someone to call you. That child that you haven't spoken to in a long time, shock them. Reach out to them. Make a promise to go see them and keep it. Take them to lunch. Take them to dinner. Read a book with them. May they find the grace to press past whatever obstacle there is. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, if there's a blockade to that, that they would say the child is worth the effort. And I pray in Jesus' name that your hand would be strong.
I want you to look this way because I, I feel this in my spirit. I need to say it. Here's what somebody just said in your mind. I don't like their mother, and I'm not calling her. Her mama's a challenge. His mama's a challenge. Listen to me. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. You should not. Don't let that stop you. Find a way. Find a way. Can you say it with me, please? Come on. Find a way. Come on, say it again. Come on. Find. Put your pride and your anger on the shelf and find a way. I was in a meeting with a banker and we're talking about this deal. It's a lot of money and, and Christina called. I looked at the phone and I said, guys, I'm sorry. Can you just give me just a minute? I apologize to my daughter and I stepped out. And I came back in. The bank president was there and, and the bank president said, uh, on behalf of all daughters, thank you for taking that call. She paused. On behalf of all daughters, thank you for taking that call. I'll never forget the way she looked at me. Now that's a dad. You take that call. You take that call. I was so touched by her response. I'll make sure I take the call. <laughs> Father, if there's anybody here today who's heard this message, they've been touched and they don't know you say, but let this be the time they say, Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. Let this be the moment that their lives will never be the same. Let them find healing and grace. And let them know, Lord God, that you care. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your grace upon them. I thank you for the, for the difference you make. I thank you, Lord God. May this be that the moment. With every head, body, every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, after hearing the message, what you made me think about was my walk with God, and I realized I need to start a walk with Jesus. If you want me to pray for you, if that's your decision today, that you want to start a walk with the Lord Jesus, you feel like my life has not been, been consistently walking with God, but I want to start a walk with God today. This, is, this doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you acknowledge the need to make a, a growth step. You've been moving maybe too slow towards God. Now you want to really make the move. With every head, body, right, close, raise your hand. Anybody say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. Some are lifting their hands. Some are lifting their hearts. Some are home lifting your hands and hearts. Bless them today. May this be that moment when they start that new walk in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. I'm a, I'm a few minutes long, but it's your fault. You had a good time today? Come on, amen. Praise God. Thank you.